0: Welcome to the P. Vine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, would you take your Bibles and turn to John 17. The book of John, that's the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while you're doing that, let me make a couple of announcements. One, I hope you have signed up for our Global Leadership Summit. We're partnering with GLS to host, be a uh, uh, host site uh, this August. All the details are on your app, or if you go to slash lead, you can sign up there. And we'd love for you to be here. It's two days of intense leadership training with Christian and business leaders, and you will love it if you're in leadership at all. And I hope as you've been walking around the board, how many of you watched my video about us needing to pay off debt? Let me see your hand. Have you watched that video? All right, if you're a guest, ignore everything I'm saying for the next 30 seconds, but I, those boards are up. I am a terrible fundraiser, just so you know, I'm awful at it. Um, I told Daniel yesterday at the Deacons meeting, I didn't even come up with a name for this. I'm so bad, I couldn't come up with a name for it. So we've been calling these things debt disc, which is about the worst marketing that's ever been done in the history of the world. But these are there, and there's a board out here, and there's a board out there, and they have different denominations, and we're asking you if, if, we'll, all, if we'll clear off all of these discs uh, in a year's time, we will pay off all the debt we have, uh, for uh, this building and a building we have, uh, down there. We want to pay them off. So what we, are asking you to do is grab one of these, this particular one has a thousand dollars on it and pay this amount over a year's time. There are, are, uh, envelopes in your uh, chairs. They say 2020 vision on it, building fund. And then there are, there's a building fund, 2020 building fund online where you can give online and what we we ask you to do is take one of these and put it on your refrigerator at home and as God provides, you pay this off and then you bring it back. Starting next week, we'll have a board for you to put completed disc on and we just wanna watch that grow. We don't think that today we're getting rid of all the disc that we need but what my wife and I will do is we'll go grab uh, some today and then we'll... When the Lord provide, As the Lord provides that, we'll, we'll pay that, and then we'll come back and get some more. So we hope you do the same thing and join in with us. We'd like to pay it all off in a year, but we'd be thrilled if we could do it in six months. That'd be awesome. And so uh, uh, you pray about it, and make sure as you leave out this door or even out here today, please go by today and, and grab some of that. And uh, if you start on the right of the board, the denominations tend to go up in, in number. So... Uh, enough of that. John chapter seventeen. I started a sermon series uh, a few weeks ago entitled "Good to Know," where we let you submit questions or topics or passages uh, about things you'd like to hear sermons on. And what I've been trying to do is take the ones that are asked the most, because if you have a question, no doubt other people do. But when I see have that same question, but when I see ten questions along the same vein, I know there are probably hundreds of people that have those questions, and this is one of those that I saw over and over and over again. It was asked in slightly different ways, uh, but oftentimes they use this same vernacular. And so I want to talk about today this subject, in but not of. In but not of. How do we live in this world but not be of this world? One of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest fears of a king, especially in Oedipa, olden times, was that they would be poisoned. Most kings had servants that would pre-taste their food and uh, uh, liquids to see if there was any deadly toxin in it. And so your job would be to uh, eat a bite of the king's food or eat, drink from his cup, and uh, it's a pretty weird job. They would let you eat it. And then they'd watch you for a moment. And if you died, he didn't eat that chicken. Whatever it was, he's like, nope, they got to take something else. If you didn't die, he would go ahead and eat. And so it was a thankless job. I'm sure it paid well, but you didn't last long in it most of the time. And so uh, they were afraid they were going to get poisoned. There was a first century B.C., king by the name of Mithridates. And many of you have heard of him. We have some words that are derivatives of his name. And he was a kind of a vicious rebel ruler in the Roman empire. And he was obsessed with finding an antidote for poison. As a matter of fact, he spent his whole uh, time as king trying to develop a anti-venom for every poison possible. And what he came up with was a cocktail of 41 different uh, ingredients. Often it was a Often it was uh, exotic ingredients. For example, one of the ingredients ingredients in it was uh, diced vipers' flesh. And I've heard Kroger doesn't have that, but Foodline does, and so you can go by and pick it up there. But he he put together this cocktail, and and what they would do is he would test these potions on pre-poisoned Prisoners. So you didn't want to get caught for a crime back in the day because they would poison you and then they would try to cure you and it was just a mess. And so he was trying to come up and so he developed this cocktail of 41 different ingredients that was supposed to protect him from all poisons known to man. And truth be known, it did. Uh, many times uh, people had tried to poison Mithridates and that's a picture of him on his coin. He's called the Poison King. They tried to poison him and his antidote that he had been taking on a daily basis, he got up. And drank this awful concoction. But it didn't protect against everything. It saved him from many a poison, but actually, he was so ruthless he was overthrown by his son later on in his reign. And his son holed him away in a tower, saving him for execution. And he did not want to be executed by his son, so he convinced his guard to bring in poison so he could take a poisoned pill and die. But guess what? It didn't work. And so he had the guard stab him to death. It ends terribly, but it started off as a really good story, but I got to work on my endings, but um, he was a king who was obsessed with not being poisoned by the world. I'm going to be honest, as Christians, we have a little bit of the same worry that in our world, it is our duty. How do we do out what we're supposed to do as Christians? How do we live for Christ and not be tainted by what's going on around us? Because can I tell you, there's a lot going on around us. Sometimes we can't see the forest from the trees and sometimes we're all wrapped up in the world we live in. But if you could just take a step back a decade or two, and I, I'm not trying to sound like old man preacher, but right? I'm just telling you, if, if you could take a, 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 a step back a decade or two we're three and see how far we have fallen. We are are now living in an alcohol-soaked world. We are living in a sex-crazed world. We are living in a profanity-laced world. We are living in an angry world, a pornography-permeated world, a society that's totally intolerant of God and the things of God. And all of that has happened in the last few decades as we've just gotten worse and worse and worse. And so we as Christians obviously cry out, how do we deal with this world? But sometimes it even hits closer to home because how do we deal with people around us, maybe sometimes in our own families, who morals and values are so far from God? And they're, they're, they're around us every day. Well, we use a phrase sometimes, you hear Christian people say it, that we are to be in the world but not of the world. And That's not in the Bible, that's not a verse in the Bible. But the basis of that statement, in but not of, is found in a prayer Jesus prayed in John 17. So, would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? As we stand to read it in John 17 and look beginning in verse 14. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screens. You can see it there. John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Thank you. You may be seated. In but not of. Jesus in John 17 is in a prayer for his disciples. And here's the thing about Jesus' prayer in John 17. It's not just for the disciples. He's praying for every believer who is ever going to come. Now get this, this is hard to imagine. It is a present tense prayer no matter where you are on the scale of eternity and time. Jesus was praying this prayer for those 11 disciples. He was praying this prayer for the 120. And Jesus was praying this prayer for you and for me in the present tense. And he was talking about in but not of. Father, how do they live in but not of? And he gives us some things we need to know. First of all, we need to know this. We are in the world, but there's more to the story than that. Here's what he said in verse fourteen: I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In this prayer, Jesus is teaching about being in the world. He's praying for those who are already saved. This is not an evangelistic prayer; it is for those who are already Christians, those for who are already believers, those who are already Christ followers. He is praying for those of us who have already seen the light of the gospel. And here's what he tells us. He says, you are in the world, but some things you need to know. Number one, your home is not here. You're in the world, but your home is not here. They are not of this world, is what he said in verse 15. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute, preacher. I was born here. My house is here. My body is here. I get it. But we're really not of this world. What do you mean? As believers, our values don't align with the values of this world. As believers, our beliefs don't align with the beliefs of this world. Our purpose, our eternity, our worldview... Our ultimate destination are not here. In reality, you live in this world, but you're not of this world. Why? Because when you became a believer, your citizenship changed. Paul told us. Then you are no longer a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of. You know what you are. You're here on a traveling visa. But your home is not here. Not only tell us that our home is not here, you're of this world. But number two, he said, you've seen some, they've not seen what you have seen. Here's what he said. I, in verse 14, I have given them your word. Here's what that means. That when you are a child of God, God imparts the light of the word of God into your life. You know what that means? That you're, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to have revelations others do not have. You will understand things the world does not understand. You say, we get so upset when we watch the news. Like, I do too. I don't even watch the news. I literally never turn the news on. Why? Because I get so upset. You know why? This world doesn't think like I think. You know how this world thinks? It thinks like a lost and dying world on its way to hell. And I personally can't do a thing about that. The gospel can, but I can't. You watch television, you watch the the, uh, politicians, and you watch the world we live in, and you think, have they lost their minds? How many of you have ever thought that? That people are crazy, right? You've seen that? They've not lost their minds. Get this. They've never seen the light. The reason they don't think like we think and the reason they don't act like we think because this is not our home. They've not seen the light that we've seen. We think differently than them. We have a worldview differently than them. Why? Because we've seen the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said they've not seen what you've seen. The third thing he tells us is you, you, you live here but you won't be very popular. Jesus said a lot worse than that. Jesus said, "Uh, they've hated me, they're going to hate you. When you're in this world, the way you live, if you live for Christ, will not make you popular. When you follow the Spirit of God, you won't be popular. When you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't be popular. When you follow the Word of God, listen, our lives are in such stark contrast to the culture around us, they can't stand it. Have you ever noticed how tolerant the rest of the world is? They're tolerant and they talk about tolerance and they say we all ought to be tolerant. But they're tolerant of every single group, weird fringe group in the world except one. Do you know who that is? Christians and morality. We're just not going to be popular. Why? You are not of this that's true for the culture as a whole, but that's going to be true for the people around you, that the people you live in the neighborhood with, that you work with, that are part of your same family. Listen, you've seen the light, and that changes things, and they're never going to see things the way you are, and something is wrong, listen to me, something is wrong if you don't stand out. Something is wrong if they don't dislike you a little bit. I mean, ask yourself, is there an obviously different mindset about you than there is about those who don't know Christ there should be? Paul said it this in the book of Colossians, he said, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That ought to set you apart. You ought to be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. You ought to be heavenly minded, not this world minded. Why? This is not your home. You say, I go to school and I live for Jesus and that doesn't make me popular. I go to work and I live for Jesus and it doesn't make me popular. I go to my family and it's never going to. I mean, you live in this world, but this world is really not your home. Jesus told us the second thing too. he, He told us this. Don't live the same, live sent. Don't live the same, live sin. Look what he said in verse 15. I do not pray you take them out of the world, but you'd keep them from the evil one. Now, this is great. While we're living in this world, God is not looking for a holy huddle. You would have thought Jesus would have said, now, Lord, I'm going to die. I'm going to get resurrected, and I'm just going to take all mine to heaven. But he's not looking for that. As a matter of fact, he said there's three things he's looking for. Number one, he wants us to be grounded. Now, this is a tough prayer by Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Now, Lord, I'm about to die. I'm about to be resurrected. I'm about to give my life, and I'm about to go to heaven. And God said this, do me a favor. Don't take them out with me. Well, wait. What if we want to go? And Jesus said, no, I want them to stay here. So here's the deal. We're busy singing i fly away while Jesus is praying y'all stay right here. Why? Because God has left you here for a purpose. God has left us here for a purpose. We are the the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a purpose on earth. Don't live the same as the world, but live sent. God has left you here for a reason. You have been sent to your family as a witness. You have been sent to your neighborhood as a witness. You have been sent to your school, your community as a witness. You are grounded for a reason. Lord, why can't I just go to heaven? Because you have a purpose here. And he prayed it. God, don't take them out of the world. Leave them there. And the apostles would have said, time out. We want to go. We don't like it here any better than you do. I know, but I need you grounded. Number two, he said, I need you guarded. He said, keep them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer that we say right here, but that we would live in the world unaffected by the enemy. Here's what he means, and I'll move on. That our lives should be on guard against the tricks and the traps of the devil. Because can I tell you this? When you act differently than the world, when you think differently than the world, when you talk differently than the world, when you're so different from the world, you will stand out and the enemy does not like it at all. So there will be trips, uh, traps and tricks of the devil. And Jesus said, be guarded. God, let's guard them. And then number three, he he said this, you should be guided. Here's what he said, sanctify them by your truth, great phrase, and here it is, your word is truth. Not only should we be here being the witness, not only should we be resisting the enemy, but we should be guided by the word. As a matter of fact, the longer you are saved, guided by the truth, sanctified by the truth, the less like the world we should look, and the more like Jesus, you should look. When you are guided by the word of God, that is a sanctification process. And I should look less and less like the world. I'm in it, but I don't look like it. I'm in it, but I don't think like it. And I should look more and more and more like Jesus. How many of you this week downloaded the Russian app, FaceApp? How many of you downloaded that? Come on, be honest. How many of you did it? Come on, come on. Not, not, Not near enough Russians in here. I don't know. It was a craze this week. Now that app has been around a long time, but a couple years ago it got famous, kind of went viral. And this year they add this week they added an old app to it so you could see what you're gonna look like old. So I had the staff. See if you can guess who these are. (laughs) Who's that? You know who it is? Josh, yep. Who's that? I literally think this is what Jeremy's gonna look like. Like, that is a distinguished looking gentleman there. All right? And then Daniel is a. Uh... That's awesome, man. Distinguished looking. Uh, who's that? Russell, who's that? Corbin! Who looks like an actor for some reason. I don't know, man. He looks so good. Um, who's that? Denny got better looking. I hate that. So frustrating. Who's that? That's Rick. That's Rick. Yeah. All right. And then we have Sean Connery. (laughs) And I look like an old Tim Conway. Does anybody remember Tim Conway? (laughs) I look like an old, old Tim Conway. Oh, wait. Here's a picture of Sherry. No, I'm not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not dumb. She's gonna look like a teenager all her life. And so, that's right. So, we got fascinated with what we're gonna look like one day this week, but can I tell you this? Our fascination should not be with how old we look, it should be how much do we look like Jesus. You say, how do I live in this world and not be tainted by the world? That is the wrong question. The question is never, how can I avoid looking like the world? That's the negative aspect, and the Bible never tells us to do that. The Bible never tells us to stop a bunch of stuff. Here's what it tells us to do, to get filled with the Spirit of God, guided by the Word of God, and look more and more like Jesus, and the more like Jesus you'll look, the less like the world you'll look, no problem. People always say, well, how do I quit all the sin in my life? Do I try really hard to quit the sin? No, you just love Jesus more, and the sin will fall away. How do I change my life? Fall in love with Jesus. I know I've got all these issues, fall in love with Jesus. The more like Jesus you look, that's what living sin means, that I'm going to be grounded here as the mouthpiece of Christ. I'm going to be guarding my life against the tricks and the traps of the enemy, but I'm going to be transformed as my life is guided by the word of God. Number three, here's what he said. Oh, look at this. You say, this is bad. I'm still in point two. Hang on with me. I forgot it. Romans 8, 29, for him he foreknew; you, he also predestined. You say, do you believe in predestination? I sure do, the way the Bible teaches it, to be conformed to the image of his son. You know what I'm predestined to be? I'm predestined to look like Jesus one day. The Bible says that one day we shall see him and will be like him, for we've seen him as he is. My job now is to look more and more like Jesus every day. Number three, here's what Jesus told us. We've seen the light, so we should show so here we are. We've been saved. We're sanctified. Is, is that all? No. The Bible tells us two things we need to do. Number one, it tells us this, that we should show. John 17, 18. Jesus said, As you sent me into the world. I have also sent them into the world. Why was Jesus sent into the world? Christ came into the world to show us he was the Savior of the world. That means our job is to show Jesus to the rest of the world. I, I don't know that I've ever Paid attention to this until I studied it this week. That that process of sanctification, that process of me looking more like Jesus, is not just for me. It's not just for the Christ. It's for a lost and dying world as well. My life is on show for a lost and dying world. Why? It is the power of God in us. And I'm supposed to tell the world. Show the world. What God has done in my life, but not only was there the show, number two, there was the tale, verse 20. And I pray for these alone, but this is a great, great verse. But also for those who will believe in me through whose word? Their word. Here's what Jesus said. There are going to be people who believe in me, not because they've seen me, but because they've heard people who know me talk about me. Jesus is praying for those of us who will share our faith, that if you've seen the light, you ought to share the light. So get this. When somebody says to you, how in the world do you have such a good marriage? you got to say, well, it's not me. I'm a terrible husband. I'm a terrible wife. I like, we're, we're just pitiful old sinners. But i tell you what happened. We got saved. We met Jesus. And it's the power of God working through us that lets us do that. Show and tell. Say, so you. How do you deal with all the stress? Man, I'm stressed out all the time. You don't ever seem to be full of stress and anxiety. How are you dealing with that? Well, and you know what? I'm just as nervous and stressed as you are. But here's the deal. When I, when I trusted Jesus as my Savior, the Spirit of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave came and lived in my life. And I don't know, man. I can't explain it. But I got something I didn't have before I got saved. And it gives me what the Bible says, the peace that goes beyond all understanding in our hearts and lives through Christ Jesus. Get this. We're to show the power of God to a lost and dying world. And then we ought to tell them Jesus is the answer. Show the power of God to a lost and dying world and tell them Jesus is the answer. Here's what the Bible says. I love this verse. Always be ready to give a defense of everyone who asks your reason for the hope that is in you. Here's what Peter was saying. Your life is different. Why is your life different than mine? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. That's my favorite question. Because let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. We are to show and we are to tell. That's how we live in, but not of. There's, a, there's another thing you asked that piggybacks on this. And number four, how do we deal with those who are still in the dark? How do you deal with family, friends, coworkers, schoolmates, that their life is far, far from Christ. They are far, far from God. Just, just for our own language, they're still in the dark. They've not seen the light. How do, we, how do we deal with those that, yes, we're living in the world, not of the world, I get it, but how do we deal with those that are in our immediate proximity that we have to deal with uh, as, as family members on a regular basis? How do we deal with those? And it, look, I couldn't find just one verse, but when I talked about how we are to do it, let me talk about how we're to deal with them. And Let me say this. I am not talking about people this morning who profess to know Christ and live far from God. That is a totally different scenario. I'm talking about how do you deal with people who don't profess to know God and live far, far from Him. Let me give you four things. Number one, remember your past. You say, what do you mean? Well, look at these these Bible verses. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he goes on to list people who won't be in heaven. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty strong list. It's not an exhaustive list, but that's not saying that if you've ever done one of those, you're not saved. It's saying that if you habitually practice that lifestyle, there's no way you can know Jesus as your savior. And he goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were wise, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the spirit of our God, here's what, here's what he said that, look, you, listen, remember where you came from. When you're dealing with the lost and dying world, remember, you're not always, you haven't always been who you are today. And Paul had to remind some people in the Corinthian church that, Tended to get a little self-righteous. That <laughs> uh, I remember where you came from. And can I tell you this? When you're dealing with people who are far from God, it helps to stop and remember that you too once were far from God. Second thing I tell you is this: be a friend, not a foe. Here's what the Pharisees said about Jesus in Luke 15:2. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was often accused of being a friend of sinners. Now look at me because I want you to hear this next statement. Don't I know you never sleep during my sermon, but don't right now. All right, just hang with me. Jesus was never a friend in participation. He was always a friend in liberation. He was never a friend in participation. He was always a friend in liberation. Jesus friended sinners so he could share the gospel with them. Be more worried about their eternity than their lifestyle. But don't participate in their sin. Number three, I tell you this, don't condemn, don't condone. Don't condemn, don't condone. My wife has taught me an invaluable lesson over the years. and She's told me this. You, you'd be surprised to know this. I'm a very opinionated person. Matter of fact, sometimes somebody asks me their opinion and I'll start giving an answer and about halfway through it, I'm like, oh man, I wish you hadn't asked. I, I feel like I, you know, I shouldn't have started. I should have said I don't care. My wife has told me this over the years because I used to have a problem with this. She'd say, never give your opinion unless ask for it. Then she'd also say something like this and she's so much better at it than me. And if they do ask, They probably don't really want to know. Now, don't give your opinion unless somebody asks, but just be truthful. If they do ask, they probably don't really want to know. When you're dealing with someone who is far from God, can I tell you something? Don't condemn them. It's an emotional issue, not a logical one. You say, but preacher, I have got the facts. I have got a Bible verse. And I've got a video and I got a sermon and I got some research and I think I can talk them out of that lifestyle. Can I tell you this? They know everything that you could tell them about it. It's not a it's not a logical decision. It's an emotional and spiritual issue. You say, but shouldn't we tell them it's wrong? Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, Neither do I condemn thee, but go sin no more. Our job is not in the condemnation business. Jesus' job and the Holy Spirit's job is the conviction business. Amen. Don't condemn them. Number two, don't condone them. Don't ever justify sin. Don't ever say, well, that may be right for you, but that's not right for me. Don't, don't condone sin. Don't condemn it. Clear sear both and love the person, not the problem. You say, well, where does that leave us? I'm glad you ask. Number four, and I'm finished, let the gospel do the work. Did you know the most powerful force in the world is not your logic, is not your reasoning, is not your argument, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know you're never going to talk anyone out of their sinful lifestyle? You're never going to give them enough proof to get out of their sinful lifestyle? You're you're never going to say, I bet you've never seen this verse, look at this one. No, they've probably heard them all or don't care. You say, well, what do I talk to them about? Why don't you talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's changed your life? One reason we're not very good witnesses is they don't see the power of God working in our lives. And someone taught me a statement years ago. And they said, when you go fishing, you don't clean the fish until you catch them. The problem in our Christian world sometimes is we're too worried about what they're doing instead of where they're going. And everybody's going to heaven or hell. That's how you live in the world, but not of the world. Close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finished. My wife and I, try. I think I've told you if you're new, you may not know this, my wife and I are trying to get to all the Major League Baseball stadiums. In about a 10-year period, we're trying, we're at the fourteen, fifteen stadium, somewhere in there so far. We think in the next couple months I'm going to get to visit three more uh, in the next couple months. Uh, the church actually gave me a trip for my 50th birthday. We haven't taken it yet. We're hoping to take it next spring, but we've got that. And, and so we're trying to get all, all the ballparks. And um, uh, when we go to a ballpark, here, here's what we look like. Uh, that's us. That was a rainy ball game, And you're going to notice this about us. You can't see it on my wife. You see a little bit on me. We always wear Braves jerseys no matter what stadium we're in. We have a Braves jersey. This particular photo was in uh, Colorado Rockies, uh, their stadium out in Denver. We went there a year or so ago and uh, got to see a ball game. But we wear our Braves jerseys. As a matter of fact, while I'm at this ball game, I'm, I'm checking the score of the Braves game. I mean, I'm I'm in the stadium of that team, and I'm not mad at any team that's on the field most of the time, but I'm fine. I'm enjoying the hot dogs. I'm enjoying the hamburgers. I'm enjoying the pretzel. I'm enjoying all of that. But my heart is not really there. I'm just checking a stadium off the list. Why? Because my, my baseball heart is always somewhere else. I'm just visiting. I'm in the stadium. But my team's not on the field. Can I tell you, that's how we ought to view this world. I'm in the stadium. Not really my team on the field. I'm just, I'm passing through. I've invested somewhere else. And that's what you have to ask yourself this morning. Where is your heart? See, I'm afraid that as Christians, we have gotten so wrapped up in this world that all of our investments are here. All of our resources are here. All of our time is here. All of our energy is here. Meanwhile, heaven, our real home, beckons. And Jesus said this, don't lay up for yourself treasures on heaven where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But rather, lay it for yourself, don't lay treasures on earth, but rather lay up treasures in heaven. Why? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure doesn't follow your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. And this morning, there's some of us in the building that there's just too much invested in this temporary world. We're in it, and we're kind of acting like we belong here. But this world is not our home. We have too much invested here, not enough invested there. For some of you, I mean, I'd like to ask you, I don't want to see how old you look 10 years from now, but I would like to know, do you look more like Jesus today than you did Yesterday and last year and last decade. Some need to come to the altar this morning and say, Dear God, I have too much invested in this life in this world. And maybe I'm not showing my life strong in the gospel to a lost and dying world. Let me ask you this question. We're not even going to bow our heads, but I want you to raise your hand. How many of you have someone in your life who is far, far from God and they're a burden on your heart? Can I see your hand? Far, far from God. Hey, that's a difficult place to be, but let the gospel do its work. And the gospel can do more than you ever can. So would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.